Well, as you're being seated, if you'll open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, this is a big week as we go through what's called the Passion Week, and we think about what Christ did for us on the cross, and we also think about the resurrection of Christ as well, and what we'll celebrate next Sunday. I think it would be fitting that we began our time together with a word of prayer, so if you'd bow your heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the abundance of your grace. We thank you, Lord that you have extended to us what we did not deserve on our own. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a loving, gracious God. And through you, we have forgiveness for our past. We have purpose in our today. And we have hope for our tomorrow. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that our sins have been atoned for. We thank you, Father, for the resurrection. We thank you that through, through Christ... There is new life both here on earth and there is life forever with you. I pray that we might live our lives to the fullest and that as we live, we might seek to bring glory to you. Thank you for your love that sent your son. Thank you for your son who lived a life that we could never live. Thank you for your son who died in our place. And Lord, we worship you today as we open the word of God. We pray that the words there will jump off the page and land in our hearts and be seen in our lives. Pray, Lord, that we might open ourselves to you so that you might rewrite us and and embolden us and strengthen us in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you look at your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 is our focal passage today. And there the Bible says, pray at all times in the Spirit, with every prayer and request, and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. There's a story about a mom who was making the Easter ham, and so she had her kids in the kitchen, and she was teaching them how she makes the ham for Easter. And so she said, well, the first thing we do as we prepare the ham, and you know, it's kind of oval shaped. She said, well, we, we cut off the ends. Well, the six-year-old raises the hand and says, mom, yeah, why do you cut off the ends? So mom began thinking and she thought, well, I, I don't really know why I cut off the ends of the ham. It's just what I've always done. So she said, well, that's how my mom taught me. So all the kids talk mom into calling grandma, and they get on the phone, and they call grandma, and they say, Grandma, we're making the Easter ham, and and we cut off the ends just like you always taught us, but we're wondering, why is it that you're supposed to cut the ends off the ham? Well, grandma thinks for a moment, and she goes, well, I don't know. I mean, that's just what my mom taught me, and that's what we've always done. And so they all get on the phone, and they call great-grandma, and they say, great-grandma, we're cooking the Easter ham we're doing what we're supposed to do. We all we cut off the two ends, and we're getting ready to prepare it. But we have a question. Why is it that you cut off the ends of the ham? Well, great-grandma thought for a minute, and then she chuckled, and she said, Well, <laughs> when I was a young bride, I didn't have a pan that was big enough to hold the entire ham, and so I just started cutting off the ends so that the ham would fit in the pan. And then that was passed on generation after generation, and before you know it, for a hundred years, the family's been cutting off the ends of the ham. Well, I was thinking about prayer. All my life, I have been taught to pray. Whenever I was a little boy, before bed, my parents would teach me how to pray. 
I, I remember before every meal in our household, we would sit at the table and we would bow our heads and we would say, grace. Whenever I was in school growing up, I often prayed. There's an old saying that as long as there are tests, there will still be prayer in school. And that was true for me. There was a lot of prayer in school. I remember sitting there and the teacher was getting ready to pass out a pop quiz and I would close my eyes and I'd begin to pray, Lord, I know that I haven't studied any of this, but I am praying for a miracle right now. I pray that somehow you might transfer the knowledge that's in that book into my mind and that you will help me ace that quiz. And so I prayed that over and over and over again. For some reason, the Lord never answered those prayers. But uh, for many of us, prayer is just something we've always done. Dad did it. Mom did it. Grandparents did it. We've been taught to do it since we were little bitty. But here's a key question for you today. Do you know why you pray? Or to say it a different way, what's the point? Recently, after 14 people were murdered in San Bernardino, California, prayer came under attack. Headline of the New York Daily News, big, bold letters. God isn't fixing this. Twitter began to explode with calls for people to quit praying and start acting. There was actually a term that became coined to describe the phenomenon that was going on. It was called prayer shaming. Now, interesting question for you, and I think I pretty well know the answer because this is the 11 a.m. worship crowd on the week before Easter, but how many of us, show of hands, believe in the power of prayer? Just let me see your hands. How many of you believe in prayer? Okay, you can put your hands down. How many of us, if someone mocks prayer or someone says something like, God isn't fixing things, quit your praying, how many of you get a little upset whenever you hear people mock prayer and mock those those that pray. Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, I don't want you to lift your hands on this one, but how many of us can answer the question, why do I pray? How many of us have good reasons for why we pray? Well, that's my task this morning. I want to give you answers to that question of why do I pray? And the first answer is this. I pray because prayer breaks me down, and makes me stronger. If you look at this passage of Scripture that we're dealing with today, it's a section of Scripture on spiritual warfare. It's talking about how God and the forces of good are at war with the forces of evil, how there are things beyond what we see. There is a spiritual battle that takes place beyond the physical realm. And so this passage begins in verse 10, When the Bible says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord. Now, we're familiar with the famous passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. What does that say? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And uh, normally the t-shirt ends with, I can do all things through Christ. But the key to the verse is Christ who gives me strength. Well, this is a parallel passage that we are to be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Well, the section then ends in verse 18 where it says, pray at all times in the Spirit. 
So as you begin to put this passage of spirit, about spiritual warfare in together, you see that it begins with God's strength and it ends with prayer. For those of you that are note takers, in the Bible, strength and prayer are always connected. Now, as I look at the crowd this morning, one thing that is very apparent is you guys are the most physically fit people I have ever seen in my life. I mean, it's very evident that every man in here pumps iron day and night. I mean, that you guys look like a football team. You're a bunch of bodybuilders in here. And so you already know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway that the way that you build muscle is that before you have to break it down, and then it grows again, and it grows back stronger. So before you can build strength, you actually have to pump iron or you have to do some type of physical activity that breaks the muscle fibers down, and then the body repairs itself, and as it does, it actually grows stronger. Well, there is power in prayer. As we humble ourselves before God, He fills us with strength that we didn't have before. One of the greatest powers that's found in prayer is the power of humility. If you think about the postures of prayer, we bow our heads, we get down on our knees, we fold our hands, we unplug from the world, and in doing that, we are showing God that we acknowledge His power, that we are humble before Him. Prayer tears down my pride. It destroys my agenda. Prayer renders me as a needy child before a loving father. In order for us to get stronger, we must be willing to become weaker. In order for us to be first, we must be willing to be last. And one of the reasons why I pray is because it breaks me down and it makes me stronger. So often we have our entire life script written out. We think we are in control of everything, and so we go, we go through life, and we're cruising, and we're like, man, I've got this under control, and then somewhere along the way, life hits us upside the head, and it knocks us down. Prayer puts us down on our knees, acknowledging that we need a God. It humbles us, and through that, God strengthens us. The Bible talks about that there is vast strength available from God. How does God transfer that strength from Him to you? Prayer is the channel through which God transfers His strength to you. But you don't receive that strength in arrogance. You don't receive that strength simply by being self-sufficient. You receive that strength whenever you humbly come before the Lord and you pray and you seek His will and you seek His heart. Well, there's a second reason why I pray, and that is because prayer equips me to do something about evil. Do you ever get frustrated by all the evil in the world? Prayer equips us to do something about evil. Now, the previous section that we talked about last week, if you missed the sermon, you can catch it on the podcast. But the previous section drew this picture of an ancient war. And there were two armies on the battlefield. And you can imagine it in your mind. One of the armies was the army of God, standing for that which is righteous and good. The other army was the army of Satan, standing for everything that was evil. And you're standing in the line with God's army. And you're in the middle of the battlefield. And the the battle is about to begin. 
and you look across the field and you see the enemy and they are taking their shields and they're banging them on the swords in order to intimidate you. They are screaming at the top of their voice and you're thinking this is going to be rough right here. And the general, the general on the other army, he, he drops his arms and you see the, the, the initial charge begin to come towards you. And then there's that great moment in every ancient war movie where the archers rear back and whoosh, and they launch the arrows and they're flaming arrows and they're flying through the sky. And there's so many of them, it's like the entire sky is full of these arrows. And there you are standing on the line. The arrows are flying at you. The enemy is charging at you. And what are you going to do at that point? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says. The general gives you four commands. And the first one is this. He says, be strong. Don't be a coward. Don't run for mama. You be strong. And the second thing the general orders you to do is to put on your armor. And we discussed last week that God has blessed us with armor that that we're to wear in this battle against evil. The third thing that the general commands us to do is to take up our armor. So you take that shield of faith that God has given you, you take that sword in your hand, and you take up the armor. And then the fourth thing is stand firm. Hold your position, stand firm, be determined. The atrocities of evil drive me to pray. And through prayer, God equips me to be strong. Through prayer, God equips me to take my stand and hear this, to speak out and to act out against the dark depravity that stains our world. Prayer equips me to do something about evil. Perhaps my favorite passage in all the Scripture is the story of Jesus in Gethsemane. I think it is just a classic passage about what prayer is all about. And Jesus comes into the garden. He's just had the, la- the Last Supper with the disciples. So they sing a hymn, they leave the upper room, they go outside the walls of Jerusalem, they go down through the Kidron Valley, up the hillside, and they come to this tranquil garden called Gethsemane. And Jesus tells the disciples, you wait here while I go and pray. And he says, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. In all the scriptures, you never see the humanity of Jesus gushing forth more than in the Gethsemane scene. So three of the disciples come a little further in, and then Jesus goes into the mouth of the garden, and he goes beneath the ancient olive branches as the stars are flickering through. And he falls face forward, and he begins to pray. You can imagine the intensity of the moment. So what does he pray? He says, Abba, Father, the domestic term for God, almost like calling God Daddy. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. That's a prayer request. He was being transparent. This was what his heart desired. Lord, take this cup from me. And then there's a surrendering. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. His soul is sorrowful. He's overcome with the magnitude of the task ahead of him and the the darkness of the evil that's before him. He goes back to his disciples hoping to find strength in them. Instead, he finds them sleeping. 
He begins to realize that strength's not going to be found from those guys. He goes back to the garden and again, face forward before the Lord. Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. This is my request. Please do this. But then he surrenders his will. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This scene repeats itself until finally there is a transfer of power. Jesus' soul, which was so sorrowful and overcome, it, it is drained with it from its anxiety and filled with faith. And he comes back to his disciples and he says, Get up. My hour is at hand. And in the midst of that season of prayer, the Lord filled his son with a strength and a power that allowed him to get up, look darkness in the eye, and die for your sins and mine on the cross. When we go to God in prayer, we experience His strength in an entirely new way. There is a dark depravity that we live within all the time. But we find strength to speak out against it and to act out against it whenever we spend time with God. We talk to Him And He fills us with wisdom and strength that we didn't have otherwise. Prayer is more than convincing God to do what I want Him to do. Jesus brought the prayer request of His heart to God, but then He said, nevertheless, it's not about my will, it's about your will being done. I think we've gone massively offline when it comes to prayer as a Christian community because we've we've minimized it to the point that prayer is about me telling God what He's supposed to do. God, this is what I want, this is what I need, and I need you to do it really quickly. What have we done? We've reversed the role. We've made ourselves God, and he's our servant. And then if God doesn't do what we want him to do, when we want him to do it, we get mad at God, so we push away from God and say, okay, God, I'm not going to trust you any longer. Now I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to be self-sufficient. And many within, uh, many that sit beneath our steeples, they live their lives as functional atheists. If you talk to them, they say, yeah, I believe in God, but if you look at the way they live, they live life as if God doesn't even exist. Somewhere along the way, you, you fell for this idea that prayer was just about you telling God what to do, and so you told God what he was supposed to do. He didn't do it. You got mad. You pushed away, and now you're living life as if you're God. You're actually hurt. And in the process, you've missed out on one of the most beautiful parts of prayer that God fills our hurts with his love. That whenever we pound on the portals of heaven and say, why God, why, I don't understand this, he doesn't always give us the answers to the why, but he always grants us his presence. And whenever you come to God in prayer, you find a strength and you find a peace that you simply did not possess before. I pray. I pray because prayer expands my shield of faith. In the previous section, verse 16, the Bible said, In every situation, take the shield of faith. The NIV says, Above all, take the shield of faith. Put it above your head, and with it you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Next week, I'm beginning a new series. The series is going to be entitled, Finding Rest. And here's one of the main ideas of this series, that rest is always connected to faith. Did you catch that? Rest and faith are married. Most of us go through life absolutely exhausted. I want you to know something. I appreciate you being here. I really do. I, I am very thankful. Many of you come every single Sunday. You come every Sunday that you possibly can. 
I'm thankful for you coming. I'm thankful for you being consistent in worshiping and giving and being a part of, uh, of this church. As I watch people walk in the doors, one of the things that strikes me is how tired many of us are. They come to church and it's like, <gasps> walking in. And it's not just here, it's everywhere. You go to the grocery store, you see people, you know, mindlessly. It's at the baseball games, it's at school, everywhere they go. I mean, you were just, have you ever sat in an airport and just watched people? They're absolutely exhausted. We have technology now, and I'm, I'm thankful for technology. I'm not anti-technology. I have my phone. I, I use technology all the time. Uh, but technology has caused us to emotionally plug ourselves in to so many things that we have absolutely no ability to solve. They're totally beyond us, but we are completely aware of them because we have all this technology. And so we have advertisements. Everywhere we go, there's advertisements. And it causes us to frequently worry about what I don't have. Now we have 24 hours news. It's not just the 6 o'clock and 10 o'clock news or our newspaper, but now we have 24-7 news. And many in this room are spending inordinate amount of times worrying about Donald and Hillary. And what's going to happen? We now have 24-hour gossip news, TMZ. And because of that, you can, you can spend your days worrying about Johnny Manziel's partying. Or you can worry about the fact that Chumley got arrested. We now have ESPN, 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 24-hour sports, where you can worry about how to spend Jerry Jones' money. I can't believe he didn't spend $5 million on that loser football player. He should have done it. And you spend time worrying about the way that this billionaire over here is spending money that doesn't even belong to you. Well, listen, hey, God has called us to unplug ourselves from worry and plug ourselves into faith. Did you hear that? I kind of like that line. Some kid out in the foyer liked it. There he goes. He likes it again. God calls us to unplug ourselves from worry and plug ourselves into faith. And prayer allows you to glance at your problems and gaze at your God. And when you take a look at your God and you see His majesty and you understand that He's omnipotent, He's all-powerful, He's all-knowing, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore in a world that is full of transition, I have a God that is a constant. He is a rock beneath my feet. He is the stability upon which I live. He is my hope for all eternity. Whenever I gaze at my God, my problems begin to seem very, very small. And the anxiety and worry which has gripped my heart drains from my soul, and God begins to fill me with faith instead. There's a fourth reason why I pray. I pray because prayer helps others. The verse that I read this morning is about intercessory prayer. It says, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Then Paul asks us to pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. What are your prayer requests today? If we were to go around the room and just ask everybody to share their prayer requests, what would be the deepest burdens of your heart? 
Here's one of the things that I know. In this room, there is a common denominator. Most of us don't dress ourselves in it, but in this room, every single person has pain. You have burdens. You bring with you into the room prayer request. There's always people around you hurting. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been praying for Riley Haker, four-year-old little girl that goes to our church a couple of weeks ago on Saturday. Saturday, she was on a four-wheeler with her dad, and they were paused in the field, and she hit the throttle, and it flipped the four-wheeler. And Saturday night, we were praying that she would live. She had to be careful, to the hospital there in Temple. Praise the Lord, she got to leave the hospital and go home this week. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? Amen? Yeah. But I heard, a, heard another story about a young lady that um, delivered her baby, celebrated their baby. She lives in the community. And then they got news that the baby had a sickness that's going to be with the child all their life. And then right after receiving that news, her husband died. Had a health problem and just died in the restroom right after receiving that news that evening. So now this young young lady that lives in our community is looking at life with a whole different script. This wasn't what she envisioned at all. The Bible teaches us to take these requests and pour out our hearts to God. God commands us to pray at all times, stay alert, persevere, and intercede. Prayer was meant to be an always-on connection, a conversation that is always taking place between us and God. Prayer was never meant to be a dial-up connection. You guys remember dial-up? Plug it in. I never knew what it was doing when it was doing all that. It sounded like a car wreck about to happen. And then finally it'd say, you're connected, and you'd celebrate. And uh, then you say, okay, well, let's see what's going on today at AOL.com. Remember that? And uh, so you'd get the AOL, AOL news, and the, the screen would begin to unfold the pictures, and it was like, so you'd be like, well, it's going to take a while. So you'd go get a sandwich, and then you'd come back, wow, this is amazing. It's like I have a whole newspaper on my screen. And then you'd click a link, and then it, you know, and so, you know, it was just mind-boggling slow. That's not how prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is supposed to be this broadband, always-on Wi-Fi connection where we're always talking to the Lord. I don't understand all the ins and outs of intercessory prayer. I, I, I don't understand why sometimes God does the miracle and the person gets healed and why other times God reacts in a different way and the person is not healed here, at least on earth. I don't understand all that. I don't, I don't pretend to be God in that matter. But I, knew, I do know this, that God honors it when we pray for one another. And I, I want to challenge our church to, to pray for each other. I want to challenge you to carry one another's burdens and, and really take time to lift up each other's prayer requests to the Lord. I have this vision that in our church on Sunday mornings you will see people praying, not just in the worship time, but around the campus. You come up to somebody and 
you talk to them and you say, how you doing? And they tell you about a need in their life. And rather than just saying, well, I hope it gets better. Or, hey, yeah, yeah, we'll pray for you. You stop right there and pray for them. So that whenever people come to church, they experience the ministry of being prayed for. I have this vision that at night, we have a lot of our young couples in this service, and I have this vision that at night, whenever your kids are getting ready to go to bed, that you don't just pray for a good day tomorrow and a nice rest, but that you say, hey, there's some people at our church that are hurting. Let's pray for them. Because we don't just need to think about ourselves, we need to think about other people, and God has taught us that we, we pray for each other. So I want to challenge you to pray for one another. I often like to say that when Texans run out of words, we cook. (laughs) We don't know what to say. Let's cook you a meal. And that's good. I would never be the one to tell Texans not to cook. But one of the greatest ways that you can show others you care is to pray for them. I've been the recipient of that. January was a very intense time in my life, if you know me, on Christmas Day, right after I opened presents with my family, I received a text and I wound up spending Christmas afternoon and evening sitting beside my father in the ICU in Fort Worth. The very next day he had a stroke and there were, there were quite a few days where we didn't know if he was going to make it or not. My dad's the most decent man I've ever met. He's a godly man, and that was a very intense time for me. Meanwhile, my wife was great with child, and we were expecting the birth of Camden at any moment, and then on January 12th, Camden was born. I like to call those first two or three months whenever you have a new baby in the house, baby boot camp. You guys have been through it, most of you have, and you know, God blesses you with a baby, and you're like, man, this is, I'm overjoyed that I have this new life, and then God's like, okay, your life's never going to be the same now, and you're going to learn this really quickly, and you don't sleep, and you, you know, everything has to go into adjustment mode. So we've been going through all that for the last couple of months. I can't tell you how much your prayers meant to me. In fact, there was a Sunday in this service. This service isn't our largest service, and so we're able to do some things in this service that we don't do in others. And there was a time in this service where you guys just gathered around me and prayed over me. That was an expression of love to me. It meant a lot. It means a lot to me when people say, how's your dad? We've been praying for you. And I know that they really have been doing that. One of the greatest ways that we can show love to each other is to pray for one another and just show that we care and take the matter to our Heavenly Father and leave it in His hands. They call this week Passion Week. And next week we'll gather here and we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Throughout this week, I want to give you a challenge. Some of you may already do this, and I I know that if you do this, you would say to me, I wouldn't trade that time for anything. But the challenge that I'm putting forth to you is to try this this week, every day this week. Unplug from the world for 30 minutes at least, at least 30 minutes. Read your Bible and pray. At least 30 minutes where you say, I'm not going to worry about anything going on outside of my house. I'm just going to talk to the Lord. I'm going to read His Word. I'm going to pray, perhaps read the life of Jesus in one of the gospel books this week and just spend time 
plugging into God. I think if you'll do that for seven days and you'll do it for another seven days and another seven days, very quickly you will discover what we mean whenever we say there is power in prayer. And so I challenge you to become a person that prays. And as you pray, know why you pray. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads we come to a time of commitment? With your heads bowed, I realize that most of you probably don't have that time every day where you get alone with God. You may have good intentions about it, but for whatever reason, you just don't do it. And so I'm challenging you today to do it. And I ask you, will you accept the challenge? This week, Lord, I'm going to unplug from the world and plug into you. And I'm going to spend at least a half an hour, maybe more, but at least a half an hour, reading your word, praying, praying for others, spending time with you. Heavenly Father, we don't just want to know a lot about you. We want to know you. Father, we don't just want to take a drink from the living water. We want to jump into the living water, swim its depths, discover its treasures. Father, we want to eat from the bread of life, to know you and to serve you well. Father, many of us are weary, we're busy, we're overstimulated. Many of us are filled with anxiety, perhaps with grief. And we pray, Father, that you might fill us with your strength, fill us with your calm. Help us, Lord, to learn to abide in you and to come alive in prayer. And I pray that we might experience the power of prayer as it transforms us from the inside out and changes the way in which we see the world and treat others around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.